Well, if you take your Bibles again, we'll return to the Gospel of Luke this morning. While you're doing that, it was, uh, I was reminded um, last week that it's been a while since we mentioned the box in the back of the room um, because of all the changes with COVID and uh, we have not been taking an offering as we typically do. So uh, if you were not aware of it, there is a box in the back of the room in which you can put your uh, offering. And uh, that's pretty much all we say about that, Uh, except that God is good and God provides for his people and we are grateful. Let's pray together as we come to God's word this morning. Our great God and Father, we do want to thank you because you are the great provider. All that we need, you give. And all that we have, Father, is from your hand. And you have given in great abundance. And so, Father, whether we take a typical offering as we are used to, or whether we put our envelopes in the box, or whether we give online, Father, we worship you when we give because you are worthy. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we pray that you would empower the proclamation of your word, that your spirit would work in both the preacher and those who hear, that your will would be accomplished in us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in Luke chapter 8 this morning. We're going to pick up with verse 16 and be looking at verse 16 through verse 21. Let me read that in your hearing this morning. Now no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed. But he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. So take care how you listen. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. And his mother and brothers came to him, and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. And it was reported to him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. But he answered and said to them, my mother and my brother are these who hear the word of God and do it. There are times, believe it or not, when my wife has reason to wonder if I've listened to a thing she said whether it's getting a roll of paper towels or something from the downstairs pantry or picking up a few things from the grocery store, if someone were placing bets on whether I'd get it right, it would be a 50-50 proposition at times. Now, I should add that my wife is extremely gracious about it. And rather than getting angry, her typical response is simply to close her eyes, shake her head, and sigh in exasperation. To be honest, it's a little bit patronizing, but entirely deserved. 
Now, I would like to think that it's just a matter of my mind slowing down. The synapses aren't firing like they used to. But if I'm going to be entirely honest, I'd have to admit that the reason I get these things wrong is because all too often I'm just not listening as well as I should. See, whether it's your spouse or your children or your co-workers, the only way you can know whether or not someone has listened to you is by the results. Have they done what you've asked? Have your commands been executed? That's what Jesus is talking about in the passage that we're looking at this morning. So I've got a question for you. How well do you listen to the word of God? Do you really hear the word when it's read aloud like it was to us this morning from Jeremiah? How do you hear it? Does it go through one ear and out the other, as my mother used to say? Or when you hear it, do you realize that God has something that he wants you to know? Something he wants you to believe. Something he wants you to act upon. Are you sensitive to what he is saying to you in his word? Do you respond to it by not only believing it and nodding in affirmation, but by actually doing it? Or is your listening the equivalent of the husband who says, yes, dear, while his mind is in neutral? Do you listen attentively out of a desire to know and to obey? But on the other hand, do you listen with no sense of urgency, no impulse or impetus in your heart to actually respond to the word of God? In this passage this morning, Jesus is exhorting his disciples to listen with care to the word of God. We come to this passage, we read verse 16, for instance, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. All right, I've heard this before. I know what Jesus is talking about. I'm supposed to let my light shine. I'm supposed to live in such a way before the world that they see Jesus in me. And that's obviously part of it, but that's the application of it. What we so often miss when we come to these verses is its context. This is coming right out of this parable that we looked at last week of the sower and the soils and the word of God, the gospel being cast everywhere, the seed just being indiscriminately cast everywhere we go. And it ends up on all kinds of different soil. And most will not believe, but some will. It's the word of God and the power of the word of God and its effectiveness in the world. And then we continue to read and we come down to verse 21 at the end of the passage. And we read this, that when Jesus' mother and brothers came to find him and he was told about it, 
He answered this way, my mother and my brother are those who hear the word of God and do it. There's a sandwich here. The word of God, the word of God, and your light in the middle. It's all about how we hear and listen and respond to the word of God. Very simply, if we don't do that properly, then our light is under a bushel. Jesus makes it clear that how we respond now to his word reveals ahead of time what is going to happen in the last day. Jesus makes it clear that every time the word of God is read or proclaimed, the heart is revealed. And if we respond in obedience to the word, what is revealed is that God is at work for grace and glory in our hearts. And that has an effect on the world around us. And if we respond in indifference and disobedience to God's word, what is being revealed is that judgment is being stored up for everyone who does not hear the word of God rightly. And so I want us to see two things that Jesus is saying here very loudly and clearly. By God's grace and by the work of the Holy Spirit, it's my prayer that everyone here will hear the word of God this morning. The first thing I want you to see is that he tells us that God's word is given to us in order to change us. God's truth is given to us to shine in us and from us. Truth is given to shine. The light of God's word in us is meant to produce a life that bears witness to God's grace and God's glory. You see that so clearly, don't you, in verse 16, when Jesus says, Now, no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed. But he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. Now, that illustration, frankly, may be lost on us because we live in a world that is lit by electricity. We can have all the light we want 24 hours a day, seven days a week, with just the flip of a switch. There is light everywhere we go, all the time. We light up the streets on which we live. There are lights in empty businesses all night long. We have flashlights on our cell phones. Some of you younger folk won't understand how crazy that is. There was a time, you know, when the only thing you could do with a telephone was to use it as a telephone. There was a book written a number of years ago called A World Lit Only by Fire. And in part, it tells about what it would have been like to be in medieval Europe, living daily with the inconveniences of life in the Middle Ages. If you lived in medieval Europe, your life was completely controlled by the rising and the setting of the sun because after the sun went down, there was no electricity to turn on, no, nothing to light the street, nothing to light your home. The only light you had was from the fire or from candles or from some sort of oil 
lamp. And of course, one doesn't even need to go back that far. My grandparents were born into a very similar world. That world existed not so very long ago. Now in that world, if you can put yourself there, this illustration which Jesus is giving to us makes perfect sense. In that world, there were no artificial lights to give light after darkness. The light which is lit in a room is not going to be hidden because the very purpose of that light is to give light to the room so that people who would otherwise be completely surrounded in darkness might be able to see. And Jesus is saying that's what the word of God is intended to produce in our lives. The word of God is not just given to us so that we will know things. The word of God is not just given to us so that we will nod and you know, scratch our chins and say, hmm, that's, that's, that, that's very interesting. It's given to us to change who we are. So those changes that take place in our lives because of the light of the word of God would then manifest themselves and give light to others. It's given to change the way we are so that we bear witness, so that we become lights ourselves individually and as a people, a city on a hill, as the Puritans said. We are to give light through our lives so Jesus makes it clear that God's truth is put in us so that we can shine, so that our lives bear testimony to his truth. Now, the second thing that I want you to see here is that we must take care how we listen to the truth and respond to it so that that can happen. Jesus also says that we've got to take care how we listen. Verse 18. So take care how you listen, for whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. And then look at what Jesus says again. Come down to verse 21. My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. What Jesus is saying there is very simple. It should be very clear. If you've heard the word, you haven't really heard it until you do it. It's not just hearing. It's doing. You haven't heard the truth the way God intends you to, to hear it until you have done it. The truth heard rightly is the truth done obediently. The truth is heard rightly only when it produces fruit in our lives. Again, go back to verse 15 as Jesus was explaining the parable of the soils. We looked at this last week. What does the word produce when it falls on good soil? It bears fruit with perseverance. And Jesus is saying, when you hear the word of God, recognize God has given that word to you. Whether you're reading your Bible alone, 
whether you're reading it with your family, whether you're listening to it read in church on Sunday morning, whether you're hearing it preached, God is giving you his word. God, the creator of the universe, is speaking to you. And so many of us, when we get home from church, put our Bibles down and don't pick them up again until next week. When you hear that word, God's goal is not simply for you to know something about its contents or even to nod in affirmation. Yes, I agree with that, as if, you know, God's going to be grateful because you agree with him. It is a truth that is to be worked out in your life in such a way that you change because of what God has said. So, for instance, you're reading a passage of scripture that contains the gospel. What's your response to that? It ought not to simply be, oh yes, I've heard that before, I think I agree with it. As if it's some kind of intellectual exercise. But it is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of sinners. It is to rest and trust in him for salvation. It is to understand who Jesus is as he is presented in the gospel and to trust in him for your eternal life. And then to go and share that good news with everybody else. To hear the gospel rightly is to respond to it in faith. Believing, trusting, and then sharing that gospel. Or if you're reading the law, Go back into the Old Testament and you're reading the the Mosaic law and you're convinced by the word that it is God's law. You're realizing that you are guilty of the sin that the law is speaking against. You're not simply to say, yeah, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's right. Other people shouldn't do that. You should see that it is you yourself who are guilty. And you should respond in repentance and confession. You are to recognize that, yes, Lord, I have done this. This is speaking about me. I have broken your law. I repent of this. I confess my sin to you. I ask that you would forgive me and cleanse me and change me. Now that I've seen what your word says. May you've been reading a a passage of scripture about the providence of God. You're not supposed to just sit back and think, you know, providence, boy, that's an interesting subject. It's, you know, there's so much there. It's so deep. I'll have to read some books about providence. Now, there's another response. Reading books about providence is good. Don't get me wrong. But your response to what you find in the scripture is to look at your own life and say, Lord, I have no idea what you're doing in my life, but I'm trusting you. Because your word tells me that you're at work here. 
you're in charge and you love me and you are wise and you are good and so there's nothing meaningless in my life and even the difficult things that you bring into my life you bring for good purposes. And so I'm going to love you in the midst of the hardship. And I'm going to thank you for it. I don't see how this is going to end but I know that you know the end from the beginning and I can rest in you because of providence because of what your word has told me the way you respond to providence is not through some intellectual exercise where you go out and get another book but you begin to actually believe God's good purposes in your life and to live like you really believe that God is in control and wants to do you good and will do you good. We're not called to understand everything about all of these difficult doctrines. We're called to trust. When you read a passage about God's sovereign decree of election, how does that hit you? What does that produce in you? One of the things it should produce is humility. If we have not chosen God, but he has chosen us, then we have nothing to brag about. The most humble people in the world ought to be the people who have read and heard what God has said about the doctrine of election. But humility isn't all that the doctrine of election should produce in us. It should also produce an unending gratitude. Because God has chosen us when he has seen nothing in us. The great hymn writer Isaac Watts says it this way in a hymn which we have sometimes sung. Lord, why was I a guest? Why was I invited to come to this feast? And why did I enter in and sit down at this banquet hall when thousands make a wretched choice and would rather starve than come? What's the difference between me and them? The electing grace of God. That's it. Election ought to lead to gratitude, and when it has led to gratitude, it should then lead to mercy, because if you've received mercy, you want to show mercy. Because you know how precious that is. And so we see what the Word of God says to us about the sovereignty of God in our salvation. And that manifests itself in light. Because we become merciful. Take another example. Doctrine of justification. You read about justification. How do you respond? If you're listening, you'll respond by ceasing to trust in your own righteousness and understanding that God offers us a different kind of righteousness. A righteousness that is not just a collection of filthy rags but a righteousness that belongs to Jesus Christ and that's offered to us. You respond by ceasing to trust in yourself and by resting and trusting in Christ alone, by refusing to justify yourself through your own works and your own facade of reputation, knowing that you come to God with only 
your sin. You see striving and you trust in Christ. Or if you're reading about sanctification, what do you do? You pursue holiness. If you're hearing the word, you respond to the word of God by pursuing love, by craving the growth of real Christian love in your life where you are looking out for the best interests of your neighbor despite the cost to yourself. And what do you know? That's light. You pursue purity and Christ-like grace-wrought generosity. Or you're reading about glorification And how do you respond to that? Well, you respond by realizing that your hope is not, in the final analysis, in this world. And therefore, there's no disappointment that can come to you in this world that will rob you of your joy. Because your hope is somewhere else. Your hope is in the promise of God that he will raise you up and bring you to glory. We read what the scripture says about what awaits us and this glorious hope that is ours. And we read what the scripture says about the fact that God is creating for himself a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And we will one day stand before his throne singing hallelujah to the Lamb. Together. No matter where we've come from no matter what color of skin we might have, no matter what our cultural background. That's our glorification. And we rejoice in that. And when the world calls us to divide from one another over those kinds of issues, we don't listen. We know that that is the voice of the enemy. And we know that what is going to be true then ought to start being true now. That we love one another. And we worship alongside of one another. Because God is God. And he has spoken. God's word is meant to be responded to. God's word demands a response. Every time we read it. Every time we hear it. You see, Jesus is saying in this passage, the truth is only truly heard when there is a response of obedience. Only when we have put the truth into practice can we really say that we have heard the truth. So, are you listening to the Word of God? Really listening to the Word of God and recognizing that it is speaking to you. I mean, it's really happened. I have stood at the back door after a service and had people come to me and say, I really wish so-and-so were here to hear that. (laughs) Understand that the word of God is given because God intends to change you from the inside out. His word comes and is to dwell richly within us so that we will be more like Christ. And the more we are like Christ, the brighter our light burns. It's a perennial challenge, isn't it? 
Same challenge existed even in the time of the Puritans. Thomas Goodwin was a very learned professor of theology and a very famous preacher in England during the Puritan era. And in speaking to John Howe, who eventually wrote a book on the lives of some of the famous Puritans, Goodwin related this story. There was a man named John Rogers of Dedham. He was what we would call today a fire and brimstone preacher. And unlike Goodwin and so many of the very well-known Puritans of his day, he was not a university man. He was not a professor of theology. He wasn't even a graduate of Cambridge or Oxford, where most of the Puritans were from. He was simply what we would call a country preacher. Nevertheless, he was such a powerful preacher that even intellectual giants like Thomas Goodwin wanted to go and hear him preach, much like John Owen and John Bunyan. So one day, Goodwin got on his horse and rode out into the country to Dedham to hear the preaching of John Rogers. And Goodwin describes that experience this way. He says, I took a journey to hear him preach on his lecture day, and Mr. Rogers was preaching on the subject of the scriptures. And in his sermon, he fell into such expostulation with the people about their neglect of the Bible. The people weren't hearing the word of God. And he impersonated God to the people. He said, well, I have trusted you so long with my Bible, and yet you have slighted it. It lies in such and such houses, all covered with dust and cobwebs. Do you not care to listen to it? Do you use my Bible so? Well, You shall not have my Bible any longer. And then as as Goodwin relates it, Rogers literally picked up the Bible from the pulpit and he began to walk away with it. And then as it seemed as if he were going away, tearing the word of God from his people, he turned around and now impersonated his people speaking to God and he fell down on his knees and he cried out and he pled Goodwin says Lord whatever you do to us do not take your Bible from us kill our children burn our houses destroy our goods only spare us the Bible Do not take away your Bible. And then he turned again, impersonating God to his people once more. Say you so? Well, I will try you a little while longer. Here is my Bible for you. I will see how you use it, whether you will love it more, observe it more, practice it more, Live more according to it. By these actions, Goodwin recounts, Mr. Rogers put all the congregation into so strange a posture that the place was filled with tears of repentance. 
Goodwin himself was so deeply affected that as he left the building, he says that he went out to his horse, but he could not mount his horse and stood there for a quarter of an hour hanging on his horse's neck, weeping. Because he realized he had not been hearing God's word. So how is your hearing? Jesus is saying in this passage that you hear the word of God and it reveals something that is going to transpire on the final day. And here is what he says is going to transpire on that day, the final day. Those who have heard the word of God are going to be given everything. Take care how you listen. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has shall be taken away from him. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like coming, someone coming before Christ saying, Lord, Lord, and Jesus saying, I never knew you. Every time the word of God is read, every time the word of God is proclaimed, something happens. One either receives it in obedience or it bounces off and nothing happens. Nothing changes. No impact is made. Scripture says the word of God is powerful and effective and sharper than any two-edged sword. Now that's actually speaking about Christ, right? who is the word. But the written word is his word. The word of God always accomplishes the purposes for which God sends it. It never, in the words of the prophet, returns in vain. It always works to do one of two things. Either to draw sinners to faith in Christ and build up saints in him or to heap condemnation upon those who will not hear. Those two things always happen when the word is preached. I struggled with this when I was younger, and I would read that passage that says, you know, the, 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 the word of God never returns void. I said, well, well yeah, the word of God is preached, and there are people who don't respond. There are people who reject it. How is that not returning void? And what I came to understand is that sometimes... That is God's purpose for his word. To confirm one in their unrighteousness. That happened all through the Old Testament. And so the word of God is accomplishing God's purposes whether we see it or not. We may not understand God's purpose. But something always happens. Either through the reception of the word of God or through the rejection of the word of God. 
And that rejection of the word of God is what is happening when one sits there and says, well, I'm not actively in opposition to the word of God. I'm just kind of indifferent to it. Indifference is rejection. If we are in Christ and the spirit of God dwells within us, then we love the word of God. And we desire God to work in us through his word to accomplish what he desires. Which is for us to be like Christ. And for us to be lights that shine in a world which is in darkness. Completely in darkness. I don't know, have you ever... It's it's difficult for us to understand this, isn't it? Because... We rarely are in situations where there is utter and complete darkness. There is so much light. Even in the middle of the night, you get up and there's, there's some kind of light around, generally. When I was in high school, we went camping down at Sandy Hook. And at Sandy Hook, they still had these old bunkers, which I guess were from World War II when they were watching the coast for enemy submarines or something. I don't know. And we probably weren't supposed to go in there, but I don't think you know, the people we were with knew they were there, so we hadn't explicitly been told. And we went exploring, of course, as kids are going to do. And you didn't have to get in very far before there was no light at all. Couldn't you know, talk about not being able to see your hand in front of your face. That's what it was, absolute blackness. You could feel it. It was the first time I'd experienced that. And I ended up falling into a hole in the ground, which was a little scary. Hanging there by my elbows, (laughs) not knowing how deep this shaft went. That's the world. Apart from God revealing himself through his word, and then through his people, this world is utter darkness. And you and I, as we listen to the word and allow the word to control us and change us, as we live in obedience to the word, we become light in that black darkness. That's what Christ says. Listen to the word. Listen to the word carefully. Listen to it rightly. It is of eternal consequence. So take care how you listen. Father, we pray that we would do that. That we would be obedient to that portion of your word which affects every other aspect of you speaking through your word. Father, may your spirit enable us to take care how we listen. For Christ's sake, Father, for our sake, for the sake of a lost and dying world. In Jesus' name, amen.